Welcome to the Discovery Pod, where we talk to leading experts from the University of Adelaide about solutions to society's most pressing challenges. The power of music, how technology is helping us immerse, interact and realise music's benefit. Today, I'm joined by Luke Howald, composer, performer and producer of interactive computer music and Steve Cook, Senior Lecturer in Media and Specialist in Immersive Technologies. Hi. How's it going? Hi, Andy. Hi, Andy. Music is a universal language. It strengthens our connection to the past and can bring people to tears. So what is it about music that makes us feel? And how is technology changing the game to allow music to be used in new ways? So, Luke, why don't we, why don't we start the conversation with you? Why is music so emotional for us? Well, I think part of it, uh, it comes back uh, to our memories a lot of the time. And so, you know, Bob Dylan once said that, uh, you know, music's a soundtrack to our lives. And if you think about, um, you know, just the amount of music consumed today, you know, most people are very familiar with that situation. You know, they're, they're driving their car or they're walking down the street, they've got the headphones on. Um, and, you know, in, in that sense, they're actually, um, you know, colouring their day-to-day uh, experience with music constantly. And this kind of, you know, feeds into their memories. And so... At times, you know, they'll then hear a piece of music, um, you know, in the future and will kind of, you know, bring those uh, emotions of that time sort of rushing back. Mm. So, but we, we all have a kind of primeval connection uh, with music. I mean, music is part of, you know, cultures around the world. And uh, I remember my, my young son, he was very little, and we played music and he just started moving and uh, gyrating. So it's, it's not just memories, is it? It's something very deep uh, within us. Yeah, I mean, I think music's uh, very much, you know, part of being human, really. And um, there's been a lot of studies done on music and the brain uh, in recent years that have made some pretty interesting um, discoveries. So, you know, one example is that, uh, you know, some studies have suggested that, you know, some babies, for example, are born with perfect pitch. And so it's part of our system that allows us to, say, um, you know, recognise our parents when we, you know, before we have language. So, you know, we're sort of um, interacting with them uh, you know, at that very early stage of development, just through the tone of their voice. And, um, you know, it sort of goes further too. There's been some evolutionary studies done, for example, which are quite interesting, which basically looked at, um, you know, the kinds of chemicals uh, released in our brains when we're listening to music. And what they found was, um, you know, we get, um, you know, the same kinds of chemicals released when we're listening to music as, say, chimps do when they're grooming each other, for example. So, you know, in an in evolutionary um, from an evolutionary perspective, um, yeah, some people have looked at, well, maybe once the population of humans, you know, kind of exceeded, uh, you know, living in small clans, let's like, say chimps do, for example, we needed to find another mechanism for, you know, having that uh, same sense of, you know, social cohesion that uh, grooming gives chimps in, in a human population. And so, yeah, music kind of filled that void as well. So we get that chemical rush uh, from grooming that we get uh, through music. So serotonin or whatever. So it's, yeah. that, it's that cohesion uh, hormone yeah. uh, that, that music helps stimulate. Yeah, and so you know, in that sense, it becomes really critical towards you know, sort of social cohesion, and as you mentioned before, it then appears in you know many different cultures all around the world. Yeah, yeah. that's an interesting thought that music is is essential for social cohesion. I mean, so, how has music changed over the years, and how has technology started to interact with with music? So, I mean, if you look at the early days, you know, say you went back to the early twentieth century, uh, for example, I mean. You know, lots, most people sort of played music because we didn't have you know, things like you know, records and the recorded 
sort of medium. So, you know, if you were going to... No TV. So no, and yeah, no TV. So if you're going to consume music, you, you had to perform it. And so you had things like sing-alongs and, and so on, just as social events in people's homes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, once, <laughs> once the recording technology developed, obviously music changed fairly dramatically and the way that we consume music changed uh, at that point and sort of built up to a very uh, mature, um, you know, industry during the mid-90s and then obviously then that got disrupted by the internet. So it's sort of interesting to see the way that, you know, music's uh, played out uh, across that period to what we have now, which is, um, you know, this quite elaborate um, combination of, you know, things like streaming and, you know, many, many different kinds of tech that uh, music sort of, you know, ends up in. Yeah. And, and you've seen that change through your career as well. I mean, you're, you're a composer. Presumably you started out with the piano or some kind of instrument and now you've moved to embrace some of those technologies, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, in the early days, um, I started out as a kind of grunge metal guitarist, um, <laughs> which was, you know, I had my band in the, in the mid-90s, um, like everybody. Good time for grunge bands. Yeah, yeah. We all wanted yeah. to be Kurt Cobain, right? He yeah. just kind of Did died. We? So. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, if, you're a, if you're a metal guitarist. Um, but, you know... Um, and so I sort of, it's, it's interesting, I, I did embrace technology very early on in my career because I, I saw that it seemed obvious that was where it was going to go. So, I mean, I started composing um, when I was doing my undergraduate studies as a composer. Um, I was writing sort of experimental, you know, contemporary art music, classical music. Um, and yeah, I adopted the computer for that really early on. And, and it was really interesting at the time, you know, I'd send pieces off to uh, ensembles uh, to perform them and they'd say oh no no we want a handwritten score you know we need to see the composer's soul <laughs> in the score and the computer doesn't do that for us you know well as you can with Mozart or Beethoven you can see the soul of the composer through the handwritten notes yeah, yeah exactly yeah. so they wanted the handwritten notes yeah. um, it was really interesting about 10 years later uh, I sent a, uh, a score off uh, to the Adelaide Symphony Orchestra to get um, you know uh, workshops and uh, it was handwritten, and they looked at it and said, "Oh no, no, we don't, we don't perform handwritten scores. <laughs> we've <laughs> so moved on. We've moved on." So I thought it was really interesting how, embarrassing. how, yeah. how that had changed, and, and it was sort of funny because by that point I'd been making, you know, basically printed, you know, com computer sheet music for for ten years, and I'd happened to uh, the particular piece I wrote uh, was quite innovative, and it, you couldn't really you couldn't really put it in the computer, so I'd, I'd done it handwritten in that instance, and uh, yeah, they they weren't interested in that. Um, by that point, <laughs> so but, that's sort of interesting. And, and you work in the, the oldest music school in the country uh, with the Elder Conservatorium, so, uh, but the, uh, the, the Elder Conservatorium has also embraced this technological change across its uh, disciplines, I guess. Absolutely, yeah, I mean, the, the conservatorium, it, um, you know, it was found in the 1880s uh, in Adelaide and it was um, you know, in its current home in uh, Elder Hall and not, that was opened in 1901, so um, you know, we do have a very long uh, tradition uh, of music in the conservatorium. One thing that's interesting, a lot of people sort of associate the conservatorium with classical music and say jazz performance, for example, but actually we've had uh, our first electronic uh, composer in residence um, was in 1962 in Hank Badings and we had a practical course in music technology um, from 1967, which you know makes us the oldest uh, electronic music unit in Australia right. as well, which yeah. is sort of not necessarily something that everybody associates um, with the conservatorium. Um, in the modern era, we actually now engage with pretty much the entire music industry. So we've got programs, um, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm the head of the uh, contemporary popular music program in the conservatorium. Um, 
train a lot of young songwriters. We've also got, uh, even uh, last year, we opened up our music theatre stream as well. So, um, you know, across sort of uh, nine different areas of the conservatory, we pretty much engage the entire yeah, industry. Mm. And how's, uh, so how, how is technology affecting the business of composing? How are we seeing technology change that? Um, in, yeah, I mean, if I look at my own career as a good example, like you say, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, it's interesting in a way that my career straddles this kind of when, um, you know, digital technology really took off through the 90s and so I sort of predated that a little bit and then sort of um, moved into it. So on the one hand, um, you know, the way that composers are composing has changed a lot. A lot of composers will work even in, um, say, classical art music. Um, with a digital audio workstation to begin with and then they'll make a score from there. But um, in my own uh, research um, from the early 2000s, I actually branched out into sort of uh, looking at things like assisted composition, for example, with sort of artificial intelligence and artificial life. Mm. Um, and then ultimately looking at sort of, um, you know, real-time sort of interactive systems that we, you know, that I developed sort of through my PhD. Mm. So, um, yeah, we, we sort of um, branched out into a lot of different uh, areas and you know we also teach things like you know um, interactive you know, game sound and film sound and things like that as well in the conservatorium. So, so that means you can program up an AI system, uh, kind of uh, uh, input the type of sound, or you might have a, a jazz improv that, that's coming up, and you say, okay, create that. I mean, because we've seen AI used in in the art world to generate new new works of art. Not my cup of tea, but you know it's uh, it's really getting quite advanced now. So, are we at the same level uh, in music? Yeah, absolutely. In, in fact, it's sort of interesting that some ideas about um, you know. So, if you look at say non-computer-based systems in sort of more automated composition systems, um, they've sort of mirrored the development of fields like cybernetics, for example. So, you've got ideas from cybernetics originating in the you know 1950s, and you've got sort of musical ideas floating around that are similar to that. Um, at the same time. So it's kind of interesting that it's sort of followed, you know, sometimes music's even been a little ahead of the science at times. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, so, you know, if you think of AI as an example, I mean, we had um, systems like David Cope's uh, Emmy system in the, you know, 1987, you know, was making new Mozart symphonies and things like that, where you could sort of feed pieces of Mozart into the system and it would, um, you know, the uh, basically what's called an augmented transition network. It basically break, that's normally a language tool, so it would break down Mozart's musical language and then recompose new pieces using that language. So, um, yeah, Cope was sort of doing that in the 80s and still continues with that research yeah. today. Yeah, yeah neat. It's we, moved into other areas too, though, right? Like yeah. even the production level, uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence. You know, yeah. you can put a song into the machine and basically tell it to master your own work in a similar way. So it's, it's moving quickly through not just the composition, but also the more tech-oriented mastering and recording style as well, I think. Yeah. So it's really making that job a lot easier, but also coming up with some really novel context for that. Yeah, I, I think there are arguments for it, you know, that sometimes when it's overly easy, perhaps it takes some of the <laughs> artistry the out of it. Yeah, that's right. Um, but, you know, th these are all tools to be used, and I think that's the way the technology is going. You know, the, the reason the grunge metal is built, you know, made in uh, northwest US where it's raining all the time, you've got to <laughs> suffer for your artistry. But, uh, yeah. And, and so, Steve, let, let's unpack that a bit more. I mean, what, what is uh, music immersion? What's, uh, what's the area that you actually. So, I'm specialising in immersive technologies. And when I say the phrase immersive technologies, I'm specifically talking about 
uh, virtual reality, mixed reality, and augmented reality. Okay, so what's the difference between those? Let's so virtual reality... I never it, know, so... Yeah, yeah it's... Um, I get this question a lot. Yeah. So... Um, <laughs> so imagine I'm really stupid, all right? It's not too difficult. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'll give it my best shot. Um, so virtual reality is being immersed in a 100% or close to 100% synthetic space. Usually six degrees of freedom in terms of movement, so you can walk around, you can reach out, you can grab things, but it is a synthetic world. Six degrees of freedom. Six degrees of so freedom. So I've got, I've got 3D, I've got some time. So, so uh, basically I, it's like this, this room, but yeah. you would walk around this room as the physical space, yeah. um, but that would translate to the same movement within a virtual world. And everything okay, that so you 3D, see... Okay, so 3D, 3 and 3, is that... No. It's six degrees, so yep. you can you're you're locked to that's axes of movement. Okay. So you lift right up and down, okay, and so then yeah, yeah. in yeah. and out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is more so what virtual reality is looking at now. Um, purely synthetic, mixed reality can take um, virtual elements and implant them in the physical world. Um, so that they are interacting with the physical space. And a good example of that would be. If I put a virtual object on this table, but there was something in front of the virtual object that would be occluded, that occlusion would be monitored and tracked. So it would look like the virtual object is behind a physical object. Aug augmented reality is like Pokemon Go. Um, it's overlaying of digital information, not so much interacting with the physical space. Yeah. So what I'm working in is primarily a Six Degrees of Freedom virtual reality. And one of the projects that Luke and I are actually working on at the moment is around uh, rehabilitation and movement with music. So um, if I was to explain that to someone that wasn't familiar, I would say... Let's give it a go. Let's give yeah. it a go. <laughs> um, I would say that it's um, you have a physical space, just like I mentioned. You can walk around that physical space. So you actually physically walk around. You it. are walking around. Do you have around. goggles on? Or you what? have goggles on. Yeah. So everything you see and yeah. everything you hear is digitally created. So goggles and uh, earphones. That's right. Yeah. Do you have anything on your hands, or you to Yeah, you may be holding controllers that yeah. will monitor your hand movement. Yeah. Um, so that way, there's three points of reference. You've got your head, you've got your hands, and these are tracked at very often sub-millimetre accuracy and over, you know, an average about six by six metres of space. So you can walk around that virtual environment. And the, the project that we're working on is about music interaction within that virtual space. Um, pressing buttons, moving controls that aren't really there, but in the but virtual world But you can see them are. in the virtual That's world. right. And yeah, you can okay. reach out and use your own hands to interact with them. Um, you can set spatial sound in, in the way that sound will, it will feel like it's coming from a, another location. Um, and, you know, we've, uh, we've got things like um, synthesizers that work on true volumetric interaction as well. And what that means is, is that within that physical space, if you interact with a certain component, it's not... Um, it doesn't work the same way that you'd expect something to in the real world and that you'd be touching a button or a knob or a keyboard. You are using your own physical movement to create new sound and interact with sound. So what was that 1960s variophone or vibraphone? What was it where you put your hand over it? The, it uh, maybe the theremin you're talking about? Maybe. Yeah, yeah so the theremin yeah. goes back to the 1920s. Um, okay. And yeah. then you've got things like the... Um, 
yeah, other instruments like ribbon controls and things on synths, which kind of yeah. emulate that, yeah, yeah. to, um, you know, so that you can yeah, control things. A, a theremin's incredibly hard to play. Yeah. <laughs> you need to be quite virtuosic yeah. to But very, to very fun, that. though, too. They're very fun, yeah. yeah. So we, we can... It's, it's, it is, I think what you're getting at is, yes, it's an, it is a new way to interact yeah, with yeah. music. So, like, the theremin is very interesting because you have pitch and volume. But imagine if that pitch and volume and a whole bunch of other sounds or layers of sounds or effects or filtering characteristics were over a volume as big as a room. Yeah. It's that kind of interaction. You're not just locked to a machine. You can move around a whole space freely. So you're not just uh, kind of, you're not at the disco dancing to the music. You're in the room dancing, making the music. That's right. Is yeah. that the, uh, so that, that, I mean, that sounds like a neat project, but what, what, what practical uh, applications does that kind of technology now have? So this particular project um, is, has been seed funded for rehabilitation and pain diversion strategy. So this is something that needs to, or is going to be used in the medical space, or at least tested in the medical space. Um, this has become, I would say, quite a hot topic recently. Um, music therapy is gaining a fair bit of traction. Um, I gave a talk at a conference in a medical conference on this topic, uh, showed this particular prototype to many therapists and all of them were very interested in having this because not only did the virtual world potentially pull um, patients away from clinical settings where they might uh, feel not overly comfortable, um, it, it gave them a sense of well-being through the music or it will give them a sense of well-being through the music. And also with the immersion in the virtual reality, it's quite a, you know, it's, it's quite a reassuring environment, isn't it? It's... Uh, yeah. Can be. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Depends what be, you're into, I guess. Yeah, it? so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I love being in there. Maybe, yeah, that's, uh, that's one of the changes that we are having to make for this particular study. Yeah. Um, because the prototype uh, we whipped up uh, relatively quickly and it wasn't... Um, how can I say it? It wasn't the most calming of scenarios, I guess. Uh, right. Had drop-offs and things like that. Okay. Um, so yeah, we've. You guys are really mean. Aren't you? <laughs> yeah, just the way it was. I don't know. I think you're also. It's just the way it was. It's the way you made it. <laughs> it's the way I made it. But, but we weren't thinking about clinical settings at that particular time. No, yeah. And I like the feeling of like in virtual reality. For those that haven't used it. Um, it's a very natural feeling at that top tier of virtual reality. I'm not talking about mobile phones and 360 video. That top tier of virtual reality, you can gauge distance very effectively. If you're standing on top of a building, um, you instinctively hold controllers tighter if you've got controllers in your hand because you're fearful of perhaps dropping them. Um, it's a very powerful feeling. So when I built that, I wanted to elicit those sort of feelings and for a bit of fun. But now that it's moving <laughs> more into a, a you know a patient-oriented setting, um, it had to be changed. Yeah. So it's a bit like you compose music for horror films. Uh, you uh, yeah, kind of yeah. create the environment for horror. So yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Are you guys working on this project together? Yes. Or? Yeah. Yeah. At the moment. Yeah. yeah. So, so I guess we both had to pull back a little bit, haven't we? Yeah, that's You're... right. I mean, actually, right. It's sort of interesting you talk about that because I've I've worked in um, you know different different type of immersive media for quite a while, uh, building art installations, for example, and so they're more. Um, embedded in the real world or transforming a space that still is, um, you know, taking in the audience's, you know, all the audience's senses, but 
you know, a few other different settings. And so actually in, in those spaces, I'm quite inspired by, uh, you know, horror film <laughs> music and techniques <laughs> quite often. Yeah. It works really well. But yeah, in this setting, no, yeah. we need to, uh, you know, change our approach. And, and the initial composition that, I, so when I built this prototype, the initial composition that I put in, so my, I do produce music and I've been doing it for a long time. Um, and my genre of choice is a very uh, hard electronic sound which also didn't go over very well. <laughs> so, so we've had to yeah, pull back on the visual aesthetics and also pull back slightly on what music's going to be in this as well. So, mm. Yeah, and, and really tailor, tailor it to the experience that we're looking to produce. Yeah. That's right, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so uh, I might just change, change tack a little bit. Obviously, uh, we're still in the middle of uh, COVID-19 and all some of the problems uh, associated with that. But the kind of immersive technologies that you're developing, surely they're quite robust to some of the social isolation, social distancing. Uh, have you yeah. seen the renewed interest in this type of technologies since we've been in a kind of COVID world? Yeah, well, the interest in especially, you know, the immersive technologies like virtual reality, um, it's been gaining momentum the past few years. The idea has been around for a long time. But since this resurgence where technology is finally capable, we're seeing a definite, a definite growth in interest. COVID has accelerated that to a certain degree, um, but it's accelerating it in, I think, the more social interaction spaces. And this is where a lot of interesting research is happening with multi-user, um, large, they're calling it warehouse tracking. So large warehouses that are fully tracked, not just six by six metres, but you can roam in any, um, anywhere <laughs> within that space. Um, so if you imagine... 20, you know, 30, 40, 50 people in that kind of space in different locations, but interacting together, um, quite, quite powerful. So yes, we are seeing a fair bit of interest. So it's kind of an immersive orchestra, socially distanced, of course. Yeah, uh, well, it's so space, socially distanced but, uh, because yeah. technically you will be in different yeah. physical locations, yeah. but you will feel like you are in the same space. And, and there's a lot of um, interesting research uh, coming out of the US with uh, facial tracking and real-time avatars, as an example. So um, the soft skills of dealing with somebody face-to-face, -face, mm. you know, researchers are looking at how that can be brought into the virtual world as well. So me looking at you, I could see all your facial expressions, I could still have the eye contact. Um, this is, I think, accelerating greatly due to things like the COVID situation. And yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, within the conservatorium as well, we've been exploring um, uh, network performance since sort of mm. the start of last year. And so that's also sort of accelerating. So, I mean, for this year during COVID, um, a few people might have seen we've been streaming our lunchtime concerts in Elder Hall, for example, so yeah. people can tune in. And we've had, I think we've had an audience of about 80,000, which is obviously far bigger, than, <laughs> far bigger than we can normally mm. fit. In, that's true. Uh, it's made things much more accessible. Elder I mean, Hall, yeah, yeah, exactly. We've had a, an amazing... Uh, response to that. So some of the research we're doing, um, like we've had students performing here at the conservatorium with students uh, in California, for example, you know, performing together, sort of streaming uh, eight channels of audio in both directions. And it's but quick enough to be able to do that in real yeah, time. Yeah, it is yep. quick enough to yep. do that, yeah, in real time. Um, and um, we're now starting to explore at the pointier end being able to actually put you know virtual reality goggles on like Steve's talking about and you're actually in the space at the other end so I can actually you know sort of stream 360 video and actually look around in the room where you know the, where the performers are at the other end and sort of 
you know, offers some feedback, which is also an interesting new area of research. And I think um, you know, going forward, especially with musicians being you know, touring and so on, being massively interrupted, um, you know, some of these things are going to become, um, you know, get pushed a lot further. Um, I mean, Childish Gambino did a performance with an inflatable dome. I don't know if you've seen that one at all, Steve. No, I <laughs> a couple of years ago, but you know, a lot of interest has popped up now in that performance because people have sort of gone, uh, wow, okay, maybe, you know, since we've uh, had this disruption, we can leverage some of these new technologies. Yeah, know, yeah, so it's... Uh I'm still waiting for Violent Femmes to come here and me to realise my <laughs> tickets. But uh, anyway, hopefully they'll come later uh, next year. Um, so let's, let's pick up this theme a little bit of uh, the future uh, as well. So, you know, for, um, for students out there that are thinking about coming to university or about to come to university, you know, obviously if they come into music, they uh, probably have uh, uh, some aptitude for music, have a certain instrument that they're going into, but what are the kind of new areas that uh, you guys are looking at that students will start to interact with in three to five years' time? So what's the, what's the future horizon for this kind of music technology space? Um, well, say, um, I think in our Sonic Arts program that we have in the Conservatorium, which is our music technology program, um, what we're working with at the moment is, um, you know, our students get a really broad um, skill set, and I think that's going to be one of the keys of the future is actually being really highly adaptable to, you know, any of the new technologies that come out. Because, you know, technology, uh, the development technology is, is accelerating. So, you know, it's more about um, learning the skills that, you know, you can kind of adapt to any technology that happens to emerge. So, you know, we sort of teach our students in the Sonic Arts program. Um, you know, a combination of you know, music production and sound engineering uh, that we were talking about before. Um, also, a com you know, computer coding and leading into things like AI and, and mm. so on. Um, and also, um, you know, like game sound and film sound and things like that. So, you know, the students coming out of those degrees have a really broad skill set that then allows them to sort of, you know, adapt to really whatever happens um, and sort of specialise after that so they... You know, they, they so music scores for video games, it's not just going to play in an orchestra, so there's this broad range of kind of audio interaction that uh, yeah. the, the students will be equipped with. And I, I think Luke's hit the nail on the head there. The, the skills that are obtained in a lot of our programs are very much able to be applied in other areas. So you know, it, within our immersive tech um, offerings as well, we're covering a whole range of skill sets that now if we're looking at the way that movies are produced as just one example, um, the immersive technologies are being used as tools. Um, the Lion King was made using VR headsets where they placed virtual cameras to, so that the directors could actually stand inside those digital sets. Or The Mandalorian created with um, game engine technologies for their CGI. Mm. Um, all of these skill sets that, that we're offering now um, translate into many other areas. So, you know, from computer programming to digital art to sound engineering, um, all of the skills can be moved and, and able to be applied everywhere. Mm. Well, great snapshot of the future and great discussion. Uh, Luke and Steve, thanks for being on Discovery Pod. Mm, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to the Discovery Pod, brought to you by the University of Adelaide. Join us next time when we discuss cybersecurity 